0: So, uh, we, I, Emmanuel and I are going to start by um, reading uh, some of the po- uh, some of the poems from *He and I*. Um, how how many people here do understand some French or would you know would would get something uh, from the poems being read in both languages? Well, you know that that is a, you know that's a decent minority. <laughs> And how many of you are involved uh, in some kind of um, translation or bilingual work yourself, even if it is e- even with another language than French? So, uh, so I think the, I think there's a certain interest, even if someone is working with, you know, Chinese or Spanish or Hebrew or whatever. Nonetheless, the um, so voila.
1: So, yeah, I think some. I'm going to read some French originals and Marilyn um, is going to give uh, the, uh, her version of those poems.
0: Uh, and in some me, cases... In some
1: cases, she will read only the English translation, and I won't read because it's going to be too long, okay. and we want to make it short <laughs> and painless.
0: Okay. okay. Well... Um, uh, this is the, ti- the, this is, is the title book of, the, po- of the, uh, the title book, the title poem of the book, "He and I." And we all regret that the bookshop is n- that person is not here this, e- this evening, but she will be uh, back on duty tomorrow morning. <laughs> he and I. What's disturbing is the glowing darkness between the two rooms. In one, a child pretends he's rolling his hoop. Across a city. In the other, a man is sitting with his head bent towards the floor so as not to burn his eyes. Later, the man watched the child score a point while while expecting the white-gloved waiter who'd bring him his bowl of raspberries on a bed of ice. Neither of the two was happy or unhappy.
1: Ce qui est inquiétant, c'est cette obscurité ardente entre les deux chambres. Dans l'une, l'enfant joue avec un cerceau à traverser la ville. Dans l'autre, l'homme est assis tête baissée vers le plancher pour ne pas se brûler les yeux. Plus tard, l'homme regardait l'enfant faire une réussite en attendant que le garçon ganté de blanc lui apporte la coupe de framboise sur un lit de glace. Aucun des deux n'était heureux ni malheureux.
0: Tourists. From Bergen, they write We'll be back before the holidays. We miss you. From the Côte d'Azur, It's hard to love by proxy, but still, why this silence? We get up at dawn, as our parents did. Coffee and unintelligible conversations have their advantages. Thinking of you, we contemplate the mosaic of sun and sea till dusk, when the moon traces a road for the last fisherman. History speaks to us much As nature does. In Rome, it's hotter than at home. Tirelessly, distance plays its melancholy minuet.
1: Touristes, de Bergen, ils écrivent Nous reviendrons avant les fêtes, vous nous manquez. De la côte, il est difficile d'aimer par procuration. Et encore, pourquoi ce silence Nous nous levons à l'aube comme nos pères. Le café et les conversations incompréhensibles ont leur vertu. En pensant à vous, nous contemplons la mosaïque du soleil et de la mer, jusqu'au soir où la lune trace des chemins pour les derniers pêcheurs. L'histoire nous parle autant que la nature. À Rome, il fait plus chaud qu'à la maison. La distance joue inlassablement son menuet mélancolique. La terrasse. Okay.
0: the next two I'll just read in English the terrace he watches the terrace through the window that interpreter he no longer has any claims on the life that bursts and flows beyond it, down those lanes in view, among palm trees, cork oaks mimosas, set there beneath the mauve sky and the blinded sun. Doves, startled by the gardening operations, flee in a feathered flurry. Then, calm returns, and soon they are heard cooing in the branches. This simplicity, the predictable course of things which make up time, escape his grasp. He sees the balustrades and iron railings, yellow stains on a white ground. Or white on yellow. He still has uncertainties and illusions, swiftnesses. The frame reassures him. It fixes the room, his gaze as well, which would otherwise wander restlessly. The table composes itself with the brioche, the cup, the Chinese earthenware teapot, the sugar bowl, the kelp-colored bunch of grapes, the egg cup, And its delicate shadow on the azure-striped ground of the tablecloth. He thinks he can also see there that shell he found one morning on the beach haloed with gold which he ran to bring back to the house and show to his sisters and the old governess who has slept for so many years now above another sea. And uh, the next two poems are from the, um, again, from the Mr. Nobody series. And this one is called Mr. Nobody's Allergies. Mr. Nobody, no longer young, develops an allergy to tuna. He discovers this by accident in an Italian restaurant in the historic city center. His face turns red, his eyes go bloodshot, his table mates push their chairs back, terrified, say a doctor should be called immediately. But Mr. Nobody categorically refuses all aid, staggers toward the men's room where he plunges his head into the toilet bowl. He is barely recovered from this first attack when a second one occurs, even worse, which keeps him flat on his back for several days. Despite a meticulous reconstitution of his liquid and solid intake, he arrives at no convincing explanation. And Mr. Nobody wonders if it wasn't the environment which had provoked the illness this time. He suspects the pigeons in the square where, when the weather permits, he goes to sit and read the evening newspaper. His neighbor's cat who mysteriously prefers his terrace, crowded with worm-eaten boxes and rusty metal chairs, to her mistress's planted with flowers. Or it could be the dying cypress tree behind the Augustan monastery, last vestige of a departed park. Then, during a cruise on the Nile on the luxury yacht Fernand de Lesseps, where there were no animals and not the smallest shrub, and he ate only bread and rice due to a case of dysentery he'd contracted the very afternoon of his arrival, an attack twice as virulent as the one he'd suffered in the restaurant, made him suddenly understand the multifaceted nature of his ailment. The sources of his pathology were numerous, and the most surprising among them discovered empirically on the upper deck, on the occasion of an evening of Viennese waltzes, was women. Not a certain type of woman. No, women in general. One must add, though, that men irritated him almost equally, and there too, of whatever sort. Only children, babies especially, and the very old, sunk in their wheelchairs, seemed to lack the element his organism rejects so violently.
1: Okay,
0: okay. No, no, no. Uh, And another. This, this one, which we will read in both languages, is Mister Nobody is the last mountaineer. In the Destiny Motel, Mr. Nobody carefully reworks the last act of a play begun six decades earlier in an African country, beneath its flags and lime-whitened acacias. It's the longest comedy in history. He lived it, embodied it, staged it, day after day. But now, though he gave it everything, it looks him in the eye and laughs in his face. Mr. Nobody has turned on the television which at this hour broadcasts only game shows whose prizes are electrical kitchen appliances, paltry sums, or spouses for lasting relationships. From the window of his room he sees the vesperal flow of traffic, partially blanked-out billboards on the other side of the highway with amusing results like Nutel or COAC, and a euphemism for nature in the grassy road shoulder pecked by crows. He has shaved, put his bridegroom suit back on, and the dress shoes he's polished. A bottle of Condrieu and Balzac's Une Ténébreuse Affaire occupy the little corner table meant for a telephone. Unless he's missed something, he's convinced convinced he constitutes the entire clientele of this establishment. So thorough is the silence. He glimpses a sheet of letterhead paper and jots a question on it by whom would I like to be greeted? And the answer La Fontaine. He slips the paper folded in quarters into an envelope he leaves prominently visible on the bolster, then stretches out and closes his eyes. The next day, he describes the scene in detail to his analyst, Dr. Friedel, who shakes his head effusively as if he were the sole survivor of a Himalayan expedition.
1: Monsieur Néant, en alpiniste miraculé. Au motel, la destinée, M. Néant prépare soigneusement le dernier acte d'une comédie commencée quelque soixante ans plus tôt dans un pays d'Afrique, sous les drapeaux et les acacias blanchis à la chaux. C'est la plus longue comédie de l'histoire. Il l'a vécue, incarnée, réalisée jour après jour. Elle à qui il aura tout consacré, le regarde maintenant en face et lui est rayonné. M. Néant a allumé le poste de télévision qui ne diffuse à cette heure-ci que des jeux dont les gains consistent en des appareils électroménagers, des sommes dérisoires ou des conjoints pour relations durables. Par la fenêtre de sa chambre, il voit le flot de la circulation vespérale, des enseignes partiellement éteintes de l'autre côté de l'autoroute, ce qui donne des combinaisons amusantes telles ces « no hotel » ou « coac », et un euphémisme de la nature, sous la forme de talus herbeux que Picor des corbeaux. Il s'est rasé, a revêtu son costume de marié, chaussé des escarpins cirés au préalable. Une bouteille de Condrieux et une ténébreuse affaire de Balzac occupent la petite table prévue pour le téléphone. Sauf erreur de sa part, il pense constituer la totalité de la clientèle de l'établissement, tant le silence est profond. Apercevant une feuille de papier en tête, il y note une question. « Par qui souhaitais-je me faire accueillir ?» Et la réponse, la fontaine. La feuille, pliée en quatre, est glissée dans une enveloppe qu'il place bien en évidence sur le traversin. Puis il s'allonge et ferme les yeux. Le lendemain, il raconte en détail le déroulement de la scène à son analyste, le docteur Friedel, qui lui serre la main avec effusion, comme à l'unique rescapé d'une expédition himalayenne we can maybe skip
0: that.
1: This OK. OK. next one uh, a very
0: in a very different tone. I'll read only in English. Uh, It's called Riverbend Passage and it's in several very short uh, sections and I'll just pause between them. Riverbend Passage. Don't let the man in black take me away with him. Cowbell's opera. There was once a time when sorrow lay down on me as if it wished to warm me. Truly, it troubled my spirit. I was... Biblical. The child fears water and bees. He watches helicopters winch up cows. His life is you, by Cephalus, in the mountain pastures again. From badland to deadwood, the man is on my heels. Don't let him take me away on his black charger or aboard the black convoy of the Interlife Express. When the sun sets, I will be swallowed, dispersed, blown away in a thousand shards of schist. After our walk, you remember the forest's joyful silence. The bird in quarter view planted nails. Dead trees were my linens for laying out the dead. I will turn toward life's blue, determined as a bee. At the foot of the lightning-blasted tree, lamentation, lamentation, descent from the cross, hung on the cross. The single bird weeps, the horse strikes its shoe the father dreams of nature stopped short in life's river bends willow herb stretches out toward the man walking alone o sacrifice o secret stitches conjunction clouds press on us and pray for us forever Nature would weigh nothing if an angel lifted our fields. Age that meat hook beyond all the bends when the miracle of the procession happens, hatching, blossoming. The king told me that story. He whelps litters of them. I listened to him on the way back. I wept silently. I thought I saw ghost horses. I heard the sun's hugeness, an opera. I was magical, metamorphosed, the restless child.
1: We'll oui,
0: the, the ne- this next one we will read in both languages. Towards Books Huda. He kept walking between the poplars and the tarmac, went by farms, fields, power stations. Cars passed him, black inside. One rainy night, he put his foot on something crunchy and soft a runover hedgehog thrown by the violence of the impact onto the road's shoulder. It had begun to snow very early that year, but that didn't discourage him, slowed him down a bit at most. He would sing a psalm or canticle and had the impression that a fur fur shawl had been wrapped around his shoulders. The innkeepers, unused to seeing clients arrive at that time of year, made him welcome He would have a meat pie and a piece of fruit for dinner, sleep in plushy beds, all for a few coins, then would depart again at dawn across the sleeping white-roofed villages, having forgotten for quite a while the music that had set him on this road.
1: Ver Buxtehude. Il marchait entre les peupliers et l'asphalte, passait devant des fermes, des champs, des centrales électriques. Les automobiles filaient, noirs, à l'intérieur. Un soir de pluie, il avait mis le pied sur quelque chose de craquant et mou, un hérisson écrasé, que la violence du choc avait rejeté sur le bas-côté. La neige était tombée très tôt cette année-là, mais elle ne l'avait pas découragé. Tout au plus, ralentissait pas. Il chantait un psaume ou un cantique et avait l'impression qu'un colleret de fourrure s'enroulait autour de ses épaules. Les aubergistes, peu habitués à voir arriver des clients à cette période, lui faisaient bon accueil. Il dînait d'une tourte ou d'un fruit, couchait dans des lits moelleux, le tout pour quelques pièces. Puis il repartait à l'aube à travers les villages endormis au toit blanc, ayant oublié depuis longtemps la musique pour laquelle il avait pris la route and these this... le le enfin le le mm. mm. I leave it to you ok uh, okay. Début, okay. ok ok
0: ok um, and then these last two poems of emmanuel's are uh, from a book that was published just last year, uh, called *Preludes and Fugues*, which are in the form of a series of preludes and fugues, and we're just going to read the first prelude and fugue.
1: Of the first cycle.
0: The f- from the first cycle, there are what eight cycles? I, f- I forget what. I <laughs> forget. Okay, For prelude cycle A, prelude one. Impassable threshold. I was amidst the roses. The old bridge's parapet astride the stream had served me so often as a pew. That evening I understood at last that I ought not enter the nave of the past nor that of the soul. Drunkenness of one who has no more words for whom language becomes tongue and speech. I no longer fear the intruder Oh, my hostile brother, Esau. One day, I will catch up with you. My heavy steps weighed down with milky, bleeding life. O oh, prior creature. This evening, I sated myself on your crimson, as once you did with mine. Still steaming, the spiced wine quenched our thirst at the moment of our bargain. And I think I remember that we sang... One of us wept from stupid joy or from excess feeling. None of this was very elegant. Outside, a lame man asked our father's gardener for alms. Impassable threshold. I was amidst the ashes.
1: Seuil infranchissable. J'étais parmi les roses. Le parapet du vieux pont enjambant la rivière m'a servi tant de fois de prix Dieu. Le soir, j'ai enfin compris que je ne devais pas entrer dans la nef du passé, ni dans celle de l'âme. Ivresse de celui qui n'a plus de mots, pour qui le langage devient langue et parole. Je n'ai plus peur de l'intrus, ô mon frère hostile, Esaü, un jour je te rejoindrai de mon pas lourd, Accablé de vie laiteuse et saignante Ô créature antérieure Ce soir je me suis gavé de ta pourpre Comme toi jadis de la mienne Fumant encore le vin épicé Nous désaltérait au moment de faire affaire Et je crois me souvenir que nous avons chanté L'un de nous deux a pleuré de joie Bête ou d'émotion Rien de tout cela n'était très élégant Dehors Un invalide demandait l'aumône au jardinier de notre père. Seuil infranchissable. J'étais parmi la cendre.
0: And the fugue. The hawks are still circling the turrets. They circle backwards in time. The sky is gray and the cathedral looks like the pink bloody mass of a flayed animal. Tall trees bristle at its feet offering it all their venerable boughs, the leaves that rustle at a storm's approach, threshold, uncrossed, as if forbidden, silence of narrow streets, of buildings with closed shutters, at the feet of the huge carcass whose stripped flesh is a prayer to the living God, mumbled by a millennium of mouths murmuring in the silence of nightfall, the multitudes of sleeping mouths, as many as those of the day's pilgrims, or even more, circling and rising to battle the gray sky where the proud birds' paths cross. Grief beats against the hillsides. It swells as dusk progresses. Heat and the first raindrops vibrate with the bells, sad and yellow, as the light is, too, As an invalid's face glimpsed behind a window, framed by lace curtains angel wings, impassable threshold of the soul's vast vessel.
1: Les faucons tournent encore en vastes cercles au-dessus des tourelles. Ils tournent à rebours du temps. Le ciel est gris et la cathédrale ressemble à la masse rose, sanguinolente d'une bête écorchée. Les grands arbres se hérissent à ses pieds, lui offrant tout le branchage vénérable, le feuillage qui bruit à l'approche de l'orage. Seuil infranchi ou interdit, mutisme des ruelles, des bâtisses aperciennes closes au pied de la grande carcasse dont les chairs mises à nu sont prières au Dieu vivant, marmotté par un millénaire de lèvres, bruissant dans le silence à l'approche du soir. Les multitudes de lèvres endormies, autant que celles des pèlerins du jour, plus encore peut-être, montant à l'assaut du ciel gris où se croisent les cercles d'oiseaux fiers. L'angoisse bat les flancs de la colline, elle grossit avec l'avancée du soir, la chaleur et les premières gouttes vibrent avec les cloches, jaunes et tristes comme la lumière. comme le le visage d'un malade aperçu derrière une vitre, encadré par les ailes d'ange, des rideaux de dentelle, seuil infranchissable du grand vaisseau de l'âme. Thank you. Merci beaucoup.
0: Oh no, uh-huh. c'est ma curieuse te... Um And uh, I will, oui, oui. Oh, merci. And, um, I will close the, re- close the evening by reading a few poems. Uh, perhaps it's not necessary to read them in French.
1: <laughs> so you will read, and then mm. go and sit.
0: Assez-toi, repose toi. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh, these are. From my last book, uh, names uh, and um, right. Uh, well, I was just talking with Joan about the about um, chazels. <laughs> so why do, so why don't I start by reading one? The hazel is a form that we. Um, get from most, uh, mostly from Farsi and from Udu, and which was really popularized in English by the Kashmiri-American poet, uh, um, uh, Agash, uh, Agash uh, Shahid, uh, Shahid Ali. Um, and uh, there are several of them in, um, in names. And uh, this one is called uh, Nothing and you'll hear the, 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 repet, the repetitions of of rhyme word and a repeated word which chime up in the first, uh, in the first couplet and then come back uh, just in the second line of, every, of everyone that follows. You'll reap no whirlwind if you sow nothing. Hungry yourself, you'll still bestow nothing. Market-driven to live beyond my means. My credit's no good if I owe Nothing. Today the doctor called with the test results. Nothing is settled if they show nothing. What do I answer the friend who, like time, can tell me nothing but I told you so? Nothing. What have you been doing in your room for three hours with the doors locked, blinds drawn, music bearing? Oh, nothing. My child's gone somewhere suddenly dangerous I listen for some fact on the radio nothing contained within that frame of words set down like black and white stones in a game of go nothing what did Louise Labé write after she turned 40 what's left François Of all last winter's snow, nothing. Thyme and cornflowers, blackberries, figs hanging over the wall, late summer harvest of those who grow, nothing. At the center of the paisley swirl, the heart of the elaborate intaglio, nothing. And I will close with uh, this was also from names a sequence of paragraphs which are the wonderful form that uh, Hayden Carruth the uh, poet laureate of um, certainly of, of Johnson Vermont and I think the poet laureate in many of our uh, hearts and souls uh, invented and the way I think that a form sta- a form enters the Canon entered is is when One poet invents it and other poets uh, continue to write it. So uh, this sequence is called Paragraphs for Hayden. I want to talk to you about desire, Hayden, the letter I could have written on a subject you'd never tire of turning in a glass, smitten by a song, an argument, long sorrel hair, profile of a glazed clay icon in the river, While your knees, needled and breathing, hurt two packs a day, bequeathing what didn't, in fact, kill you in the end. Was it a distraction from the inexorable fear, my friend, its 5 a.m. gut contraction? But who of your critics or cottage pretends that expense of spirit, lust in action, didn't earn you magnificent dividends? The week they told me my genetic code was flawed, I ricocheted, desire and fear like sun and clouds, a mood swing reason had no reason for, but reasons calibrated in the blood. Terror, tumescence, cloudbursts, solitude. No diagnosis, no beloved balance. I write not to you, to silence. By anybody's reckoning now, I'm old, and you an occasion instead of an interlocutor. Aura of beaten gold in a winter of cast lead. Will the scales tip to the side of pleasure when a taut cord plucked across the grid invites, vibrates according to your measure? A taut-tuned string asserts the girl in green, a six-year-old in an oversized sweatshirt in in Gaza City on a computer screen video, not dead, not hurt, but furious. This is what they've done to our house, our clothes smell of gas. I never wore the sunglasses my father gave me or the earrings my grandmother gave me. She tosses dark curls, speaks, a passionaria, in front of a charred wall. Arching her brows, she orchestrates her aria with swift hands that rise and fall while she forgets about fear, even as she ransacks the empty cradle of its burnt blankets. That baby's where? A glass of red wine spills on the grammar book. The pupil and the teacher gasp, then laugh. Their voices branch into the Baroque logic of the paragraph. Does the Brie birthmark presage luck in learning elementary Arabic? This classroom desk is a kitchen table, but the street outside is peaceful. School children with satchels weave among shoppers, construction workers, dogs. No one here is speaking their mother tongue. Perhaps several dialogues are contradicting contrapuntally. Two girls in hijab with computer bags go hand in hand into the library. And if I have time, I'll read one more poem. <laughs> si c'est permis. Um, well, I, I read one a glossa that I had written on a poem of Emmanuel's uh, the other day, and uh, this is another one. In fact, that also that also took off from a translated poem by by um, another French poet, Claire Malroux, uh, whose work I've uh, translated several books. And the four line and uh, for those who weren't here on Friday, the glossa is a Spanish form in which one takes four lines from a poem by someone else and constructs four stanzas. Uh, that uh, each one of which ends with one of those four lines. And the, here, uh, here are the lines that are glosed, uh in this poem. And, "Blood's risks its hollows, its flames, exchanged for the pull of that song, bone-colored road, bone-colored sky, through the white days of the storm. But, and that was from a poem by Claire Malhounm. Once out of the grip of desire, or, if you prefer, its embrace, free to do nothing more than admire the sculptural planes of a face, are you gay, straight, or bi? Are you queer? You still tell your old chaplet of names, which were numinous once. You replace them with adjectives, witty, severe, trilingual, abstracting blood's claims, blood's risks, its hollows, its flames. No craving, no yearning, no doubt, no repulsion that follows release, no presence you can't do without, no absence an hour can't erase. The conviction no reason could rout of being essentially wrong is dispelled. What feels oddly like peace now feels space you had blathered about where the nights were too short or too long exchanged for the pull of that song. But peace requires more than one creature released from the habit of craving on a planet that's mortgaged its future to the lot who are plotting and raving. There are rifts which no surgeon can suture overhead in the street sea, The bleak plain from which you are waving, mapped by no wise benevolent teacher, is not a delight to the eye, bone-colored road, bone-colored sky. You know that the weather has changed, yet do not know what to expect with relevant figures expunged and predictions at best incorrect. Who knows on what line you'll be ranged and who in what cause you will harm? What cabal or hunter, or sect has doctored the headlines, arranged for perpetual cries of alarm through the white days of the storm. Thank you.